The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Back to our regularly scheduled programming here on Hollinger Duncan, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, joined by John Hollinger of The Athletic, who pays for him to travel to and fro. So we got a lot to talk about uh, what he has seen uh, this week. Uh, where did your travels take you this week, John? Uh, well, I, I went to lovely Sacramento, California. Uh, people where I people saw- shit on Sacramento. I really like Sacramento, actually. I tell you I, what, that yeah. used to be the most feared road trip in the uh, league when uh, Arco was a dump and it was outside of town and there was just nothing compelling about going there at all. And uh, that new arena is, if it's not the best arena in the league, it's definitely in the top five. I mean, it's it's awesome if, for anyone who hasn't been there. They it's did good. a really great job with it. Uh, all kinds of like, even as far as like the fan experience, because I walked around the concourse uh, the last couple times I've been there, uh, all the food options and stuff and the just the concourses are really wide. They have this big glass opening uh, that faces outside on the one end uh, They, they and it can like open up like it allow fresh air in, which is really cool. Uh, so they did a great job with that. And then it's right in the middle of downtown. There's some other stuff that's come up around it. So it's it's a much more pleasurable uh, trip than it's used to been used to have been yeah i like it i mean people in the bay area like love to crap on sacramento just because it's not the bay area and 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 no the thing they should crap on though is that drive from the bay area to sacramento like if if that if that road were actually paved it would be a much more uh enjoyable trip yeah no it's uh there's a little bit of chuck there It's, it's not good uh but I mean, it, I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, some of the cities to the south of Sacramento in the Central Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sacramento itself, I think I read it has the most trees of any city in the country. There's like actual neighborhoods. There's pretty good ethnic food. I mean, there's not like super high end stuff, but like how often are you eating at that kind of stuff anyway? You could go yeah. to Napa or the Bay if if you really need it. And uh, it is the most integrated city in the country as well, as opposed to the most diverse, the most integrated with uh, really people, people of different races actually like living interspersed with one another, uh, as opposed to like Chicago, which you can draw red lines through. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Atlanta's like that, too. I mean, Portland yeah. was and uh, the, yeah. not relevant for NBA people, but two hours away from skiing in Lake Tahoe, too. Uh, so, so it's almost uh, like they, they got lost on their way to Canada or something. 
So uh, let's talk about a team that's been lost uh, on its way to really nowhere for the last, like, oh, gosh, I guess nine years or or so now, uh, the Phoenix Suns. You wrote about them this week, not necessarily taking as much of a long-term view of them, but just talking about whether the start they had, they started seven and four, they've lost three straight. So is it just, all right, they had this nice start, now it's back to the same old Suns again, they're going to crater and not be in the playoff mix or do you think they're going to stick around uh, all year i think they're going to stick around all year and looking at the west right now i think they might actually make it like when you look at some of these other teams that would potentially be challenging them for a playoff spot i think they have a lot more problems than the suns do yeah i mean when you're looking at portland san uh, antonio yeah who looks like a complete complete mess uh when you look at even these teams you know, Minnesota, who they just beat in their building without Baines or Rubio. When, yeah, when I you, think the, the Wolves are kind of doing it with smoke and mirrors to me more than the Suns are at, at this point even. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, the Pelicans, you still figure will, will make a run when they get Zion back, but they're, you know, they're a few games behind now. Sacramento has never really made the kinds of faces you'd expect a team to make if they were going to contend. It's just it, who's who's going to take it from them at this point. Like, there, I think there are six clear-cut teams at the top of the West, and then Phoenix has a as good a better argument as anyone else right now. Yeah, that, uh, that's true. I mean, Clippers, Rockets, Nuggets, Lakers, Jazz, Mavs. Yeah, to me, are pretty clearly looking in uh, Suns' major injuries. You know, those are all looking like fifty-win quality of teams, and then yeah, it's looking you know kind of around five hundred uh, after that, and now. They are going to need to get healthy with Rubio and Baines. And I worry, I mean, those guys have been so important to what they've done defensively. You know, in that game against New Orleans, which is a disappointing home loss because New Orleans yeah. is a ton of people out too. You know, they're closing it with, I, I don't know whether you're going to call Kelly Oubre or Mikhail Bridges the center in that yeah. lineup they closed it with. But, uh, you know, Sharich, Kaminsky, I mean, that's not getting it done so and Baines and Rubio do not have the greatest of health records. They need those guys desperately. Yeah, well, I mean, the, so on the Baines side, I mean, they'll at least have Aiton back in in another uh, ten or eleven games here. But Rubio, they're really they're really without a net there at the point. That was the reason that bring him in was so him in was so important in the first place because Phoenix point guard was arguably the worst position group in the league last year. Uh, since overtaken by Golden State small forward, certainly, but there, that, you know, at that time, that was, uh, uh, a, a real, real disaster. So I think he solidified that and really allowed these other guys to play their normal game. Uh, GR3 has been passable. I think he's been passable. I, I, I think I could, if I really went through it, I could find a worse position group. Maybe that's, well, maybe that's Blazer, Bla- maybe actually, maybe Trailblazer fours now without Zach Collins. Yeah. That's not good. Um, well, Blazers fives is not looking amazing either. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anything else that stuck out to you about uh, this sudden start? I, I mean, they specifically defensively, they really seem a lot better. Is there anything that looks unsustainable about that to you? Not really. I mean, it's they have eight to ten solid guys. The biggest thing that's changed to me is Booker is playing real basketball now. He's like actually trying on defense. He's not taking crazy shots. He's um, he's always had the ability to pass, but he's playing more as a distributor now. Even even uh, when when Rubio was out, and 
it's just a, a like a, a basketball maturity, I would say almost. And then Kelly Oubre, a little bit to the same extent. Uh, I mean, mental hours out errors out the yin yang when he was playing in Washington and even last year in Phoenix. And I think his games tighten up a little too, where he's just he's eliminated some of the negative plays so that his positives are more easily displayed. Well, so what are some of the people that you talked to in Phoenix saying about the coaching staff? Was that who's giving that who's getting a lot of the credit for this transformation? Obviously, in addition to some of the personnel changes. I mean, I th- I think certainly Monty Williams is is seen as a centerpiece to this, just in terms of somebody who could who had some gravitas to him and could come in and and say immediately, "This is how we're going to do things. We're going to be you know a real." basketball team now and not the shit show that it's been for the last however many years. And I think that I think him being a head coach before and having that experience and having been a player um and that's a, that's always been his reputation that he has that ability to connect with guys that maybe he's not the greatest on on Xs and Os but that he can be uh somebody who really kind of galvanizes the troops and and uh gets everyone rowing in the same direction and so far he's been able to accomplish that. And I think last year, you know, one of the problems I'm sure that Igor Kokoskov had was just coming into a situation as a first year head coach. And it wasn't stable right away. The GM that hired him was fired before he ever coached a game. So it was just unstable from game one. And there's there's just an appearance of stability now there. Monty got a five-year deal. Uh, the new front office, whatever you think of it, is newly hired. So presumably not going anywhere for a little bit. So it it just feels a little steadier there than it used to be. Yeah, I agree with you. What do you think of the way they're using Booker off the ball more now? Is that better for him? I mean, his efficiency is way up, although he's shooting 46% from three. So that's probably going to come down at least a little bit. Uh, you know, last year he had the ball in his hands every chance he could get, every chance that they could get for him. Does it look better with him as more of a, an off-ball guy now? Well, here's here's the thing. So I didn't see them with Rubio on this trip. Oh, so yeah. I got to I got to withhold my judgment a little bit because it with without without that real floor general, I mean it it still looked a little rickety. <laughs> so I I got yeah. I got I got to withhold judgment because of that. The one thing I will say which surprised me um the last couple of games, Elliot Kobo has actually looked like kind of an NBA player, which would have stunned anyone who saw him last season. Yeah, I mean, he was drafted, what, was 31? He was 31st pick, yeah. In 2018. Yeah, I mean, that's a a coveted pick normally. So I and I thought maybe even they were going to cut him. They had a little bit of a a roster crunch, but uh, haven't done that. And uh, they've still gotten decent play out of uh, Javon Carter. Yes. um, At at least shooting the three ball and then defensively, we'll see what that really lasts or not. They claim that he's actually been shooting the ball really well for them going back to summer league and even you know in practices. Well, you know, we we had Javon Carter in Memphis last year. His shooting percentages last year were a fluke. Like he can shoot. Like you yeah. see him in practice and and uh and in the scrimmages and in the G League games. Like he's a he's a decent shooter. Like I, you don't that's not a part of his game that you doubt. The question is just with his size and ability to play the point and distribute for other people and the foul proneness on the defensive end. Well, I mean, when I got, what was he, like 32% from the field and 27% from three or something like that yeah. last year? He, he played like a fair number of minutes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the numbers were were really bad, and we were all scratching our heads because we'd, we'd see it. You, you have an idea in your head of what kind of practice performance 
correlates to what kind of game performance and, and when you watch these guys shoot. And- but when you say practice just being like, you know, not like actual live practices, but just like, you know, shooting around practice. Yeah. When you just, when you watch guys shoot around and do drills, you, you sort of have in your head what the, what the calibration is. And also just visually how it looks, you know, is, is the ball spinning correctly? Is it, is it where the misses, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. And it, it was just stunning to see in the games that, that his threes especially just couldn't find the net. Now his overall field goal percentage is probably always going to be a little low because he just doesn't get to the rim that much. So he's taking harder shots. Um, I mean, have you ever seen someone who just like could shoot it in practice and just never was able to get it together in the games? I don't, I've I don't, always wondered about that. Like, you know, I see guys shooting around and like, you know, those aren't all created equal, right? Like yeah. somebody goes, you know, Steph Curry is like going behind the back 30 times and, you know, shooting a three in his warmups and other guys are just getting catch and shoots, you know, stand still, not even jumping. So, you know, they're not all created equal, yeah. but I've always wondered that of just like, is there really, you know, close to a one to one? I mean, not one to one, but you know, you know, point six to one or what, yeah. whatever it is. Uh, translation between how you just shoot it when you're shooting around and how you shoot it in games. The the one guy who people might point to, I think, uh, would be Ben McLemore because if you get him in a workout, he looks like Prime Ray Allen, and he uh, his shooting percentages. In NBA games, have never even like on open threes have never quite yeah. translated to that level. Like he's been an okay shooter, right? But just n- nothing that blew you away. Yeah, I mean, he was drafted to be like a forty percent from three. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll find out for for real this year. <laughs> I mean, he's never going to have better looks than he's than the ones he's going to get this year. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Well, I guess now we can actually do a a quick little. Actually, here, let's do a, a read real quick, and then uh, we can introduce a, a new feature that we're going to try here. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store what's up sports fans matt peck here host of locked on bulls and i want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast huge fan is a new serious xm original podcast where stars talk sports Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. 
So we talked about it a little bit here. In past years, the, the Suns would have been a candidate for this right away. But we're going to start off, we're going to do this, I think, basically every week. We might have to skip a week or two, where John and I are each going to rule out a team for the playoffs every week and maybe talk about them a little bit too. Uh, and then we just have to do it, pick one each week and then get to the end where you've only got 16 left and see what, which of us, uh, is, ends up being closer as far as actually getting the playoff field. So I will go first here and, you know, we can pick the same team. I suppose if we want to, um, I guess it would have to be. Oof, I'm struggling between Hornets and Knicks. I think I'll, I'll go Knicks. They have a worse record, worse point differential. Um, so uh, I'll go there. New York Knicks. How can you rule them out with the talent that that front office has amassed? <laughs> uh, are are uh, Steve Mills and Scott Perry going to play? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, they 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 seemed very convinced anyway. Um no, it's I'm in, the interesting thing here is that you chose a team in the East. Yeah, that might have been dumb, but I like there's I, I, mean, I guess Warriors would be the other one, but that that's the other uh, potential candidate. But uh, I mean, but you say the East, but you know, I think 500. I mean, I guess the eighth seed in the East is going to be like you know 37 wins or something. It probably would be a little higher than that in the West. Just, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I yeah, I didn't think the conference thing was that different. All right, so so who are you going with, Warriors? I think I think I have to go with the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. The the only the only thing in the back of my head that was that was maybe pushing me to go in a different direction was the fact that well what if Steph comes back early and maybe but I, I just think there's so many things working against them and they've been so bad in the early going that I I mean three and fourteen is tough to recover from. You gotta I mean, just to get to 500, right? You got to be 11 over the rest of the way. Well, well, and the, and anytime anybody has the slightest nagging injury, especially if it's Draymond Green, like they're going to sit for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 They, I, I mean, maybe it's possible that like when Kevon Looney gets back, their defense could be passable with him, Draymond, Pascal, like the Kerr is kind of playing a little bit bigger. You just run everything through Russell at the point. I guess the, their other problem is that they have like two guards and one of them is Jordan Poole, who, who might be the worst player, worst rotation player in basketball right now. He has had a rough start. Um, and, yeah, I think he was, and he I'm was not, I'm not, and I'm not sure the middle and the end are going to be any better, but, <laughs> but definitely a rough beginning. Yeah. I think he's like third to last in Jacob Goldstein's PIPM and Cam Reddish, who, uh, it must privilege you to be able to watch him uh, on a, near nightly basis in Atlanta. Maybe that's why you're traveling so much. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's an avoidance strategy. It's a, yeah. Although, you know, he's missed the last couple of games. So I should have, you know, I should have stuck with him. No, actually the Hawks were on the road for like two weeks though. So this was a great oh, yeah. time for me to, for me to travel. So I'm going to, I'm going to see them against uh, Minnesota on Monday night. So that'll be good. Okay. I, I we feel, digress. I, I feel comfortable, pr- pretty comfortable here with the, with the New York Knicks. I, I mean, maybe Alfred Payton comes back and really, all right, let, let's stop talking about it. Um, <laughs> this, w- this feature will get more interesting as the year goes on. Um, so I haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. Zach Lowe and Woj uh, had a report on some changes that the league is considering. I'm going to just take you through each one of these things that they're talking about. Here. Sure. Start with the e- – and we can just hit on them. We'll, we'll talk about the easiest one. 
And that is the idea of reseeding once the conference finals rolls around. So basically you get four teams once the conference finals rolls around and you reseed to have the team with the best and worst record play each other regardless of conference and the two teams two and three play each other regardless of conference. What do you think of that proposal? I think it's pretty good. I think the, uh, they want to get their best matchup in the finals if they can. Yeah. They want to get Golden State Houston in the finals if they can rather than the conference finals. So I went back and looked at what it changed six of the last 10, uh, matchups in the conference finals. So we would have ended up with, with something different. And in most cases, it was the Western teams, obviously, that, that were more advantaged yeah. by this. It will create more travel in the conference finals and they may need to put in an extra travel day or two into the schedule to accommodate yeah. this because the conference finals, unlike the finals, has been in every other, just a straight on every other for the first six games, uh, every year. So for a Portland Miami series, let's say that would, that would be difficult to accommodate. So that, that, that's something they'll, ha- they'll have to think about a little bit. And then you ask, well, why don't they do it for every round? The reason they wait to the conference finals is because now you don't have double headers. And so you don't have to worry as much about coordinating start times across time zones where you can have an eight and a 1030 Eastern start or a seven and a 930. There's just one game that day. It's just going to start when it starts. Right. So, uh, th- I think that, I think that's the reason why you don't do it before the conference finals. Yeah. And that, I think that is something that might put even more of a premium, uh, or I shouldn't say more of a premium because there's not enough of one right, right now on the regular season to uh, still have, to have the overall, be the overall NBA one seed. It seems like teams don't really emphasize that too much. Um, and I mean, you might still get situations where really good teams are losing in the second round in the West and maybe one team makes it, you know, like a 2017 Boston type of situation makes it oh, in yeah. the East. Um, but at least, yeah, this, this will help that a, a little bit. Um, and, and you also still have the issue that, you know, now you're pitting teams for home court up against each other earlier who aren't playing the same schedules or at least very close to the same schedules. But I think it's a good thing. Overall, I mean, it's just such a bummer when the finals is, you know, Golden State 4-0 over a, a decimated Cleveland team, you know, that that kind of thing. San Antonio, so, New Jersey, you know. That, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and who knows? I mean, there could be times when there's it ends up being great series anyway in the conference finals and then the, the finals aren't any good or whatever like that. You know, the seeding isn't going to make it perfect, especially because teams aren't trying as hard in the regular season as they used to. But yeah, it'll, not, uh, nothing will make it perfect. But on balance, this is an improvement. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. Um, okay. Now they want to include a 30 team in season tournament. What are your thoughts on that? I don't hate it. Uh, I'm worried about how seriously teams will take it, especially in the beginning. It could be a glorified G League showcase, but um, I think the it's a test for the idea that because in, in concert with this, they're reducing the schedule to 78 games, right? Yeah. So the concept of fewer games, but more that matter, I think is one that they can dip their toe in the water with this. And then when they get to the next collective bargaining agreement in – 2023 most likely depending on whether one side opts out that they will they will have some information 
that if they really want to look at shortening the schedule, yes. they'll have a better idea of of how much they're costing themselves and or helping themselves. That the idea that less is that less can be more, I think, has gained some currency in uh, in in a lot of circles in in the media and within the league. But I think there's a still a reluctance to try that until there's some kind of proof of concept available. So this, yeah. in a very limited way, offers some of that. That will take sixty games off the schedule. You know, thirty four games from thirty teams divided by two, sixty games off. And we'll add in their place uh, just the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of this tournament, this cup tournament. So seven games in their place. And we might do better from those seven games than we did from those original 60 just yeah. because and they're they gonna matter. Have, and they're going to have this play-in tournament potentially. So now, now keep in mind, none of this is uh, going to happen for sure. I think there's a reason that this was kind of floated in the media as a trial balloon at this point. But I agree with you. I think a lot of people were like, Really disappointed, like, okay, 78 games, that's not enough. I, I've maintained for quite some time now it should be a 58-game home-and-home with every team season. Uh, but, and you can get get rid of the conferences entirely, et cetera, et cetera. You can almost have it like a league schedule, winning the league type of thing. But that was it just realistically wasn't going to happen. I am one of those people who thinks it probably would be better to for the overall revenue pie. Certainly, it would help, I think, national TV ratings. And definitely won't hurt them because you can still have just as many national TV games. Absolutely. Just, yeah. Where it kills you is, in theory, is with the gate and then the RSNs who have the local TV rights. And, you know, there certainly would be an issue with contracts there when, you know, if, okay, Warriors, you're going to be on national TV 30 games. Well, now you only have 28 games to show for the RSN instead of. 50 games like that's a that's a big problem right so that's something they would have to deal with but i i agree with you i think that uh having uh, every team having two games a week would be much better for fantasy as well which you know has driven so much of the growth of the nfl uh i i'm hopeful that they this is exactly what you said dipping their toe in the water um i mean how are they going to make people give a shit about this tournament though they just have to hope people give a shit about the tournament i mean the the <laughs> You qualify for it via regular season games in your division. So that, yeah. that part, they, cause that's a, the biggest struggle FIBA has had, right? Is that nobody wants to play in the qualifying games. Yeah. And then, so the actual tournament you hope is prestigious enough and, uh, that, that teams will take it relatively seriously. It's going to be an interesting question when you have half injured players, if they're going to want to play in that or if teams going to, are going to value regular season wins more than a win in the the cup competition. So I think that's all up in the air, but it is a way for the NBA to get itself on the radar a little bit between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Well, and the Kings remember like raised a banner for their summer league championship, right? I I think like, I don't know if they did it in the arena, but there's, there are teams who like, just have nothing to be happy about. I, I think those teams. Well, let me, I mean, let me honestly, like, and teams who don't have extended histories, like in Memphis, yeah. even though we've had, we ha- had had a pretty successful team most of the time, there's no laundry hanging from the ceiling. So yeah. winning that cup, that, yeah, they might take that very seriously. I mean, how many like jewels and like platinum is like going to be on this actual cup? Maybe they just have to make the trophy really awesome. That's the way to, to make it interesting. but supposedly they had talked about it 
um, you know, more cash incentives for the players as well to make them, you know, now, I mean, is it going to be a million bucks a player? Like, is you know, these guys make a lot of money, right? Like, there's not, you know, I mean, how much do you think it would take per player for a win to to make it? Players actually care like 500K which, per player. Which player? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? The minimum guys? Oh, they're going to be balling out, man. <laughs> yeah. But, but those guys are balling out all the time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's true because their life depends on it. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, maybe it's, maybe you would just have a, a pool of, you know, $2 million and it's prorated for each player's salary on the team or something like that. Or, or, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, it would be, I think it would be tough to make the players who are playing in the finals every year care that much about it. Um, especially this early in the season. I mean, maybe, maybe the thought is it's just like, it's so early in the season that everyone still has their summer legs, you know, like how yeah. Zach Lowe noted in his piece last year that like, even compared to the playoffs, players move the fastest in the first 15 games of the season before they get worn out. So maybe like everyone will have enough energy and just be optimistic enough and just enjoying playing enough. It's not the dog days yet that they just want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that is hopefully what might happen because there are other, uh, the leagues in Europe, they play cup competitions. They're, they basically have two different cup competitions, but Spain and uh, Serbia do their cup competition before the regular season even starts. That's like opening weekend. Yeah. And then, they, and then they'll have another cup competition around the time that we do the all-star game. Cause they don't, they, a lot of them don't have an all-star game. Yeah. Locke had an interesting idea that there, you should start the season overseas and play like little tournaments overseas and, you know, have like, you know, the Paris cup winner with eight teams or something like that. It went after expanding to 32 teams that, you know, the, uh, the Tokyo cup winner, et cetera. Like that, that's an interesting idea too. But yeah, I think this, I don't know. I'm so, as, as I talk through it with you, I, I'm growing a little bit more enthused about it than I was when I, when I first read it. I guess the question is we, like, we don't have this tradition, you know, there's one championship in the U S right. And right. so, I mean, and now what you really would struggle with is, okay, if you went to the 58 game schedule, would winning the league mean as much here as it does in like the premier league and soccer, you know, like, could you actually make that be actually mean something too, and really have like the treble. Um, Cause yeah. we, uh, we, well, I mean, they, just, they, yeah. they don't have playoffs, so they don't have a choice. Yeah. In, in yeah, the premier league true. in England. So, but can you, but can you make it like, like, like those cup competitions where maybe it's not as important as winning the championship, but it's still something. Like if you ask somebody who won the Premier League last year, they're not going to talk about who won the cup. They're going to talk about who ended up at the top of the standings at the end of the year, which I'm pretty sure was Manchester City, if I remember right. But the, uh, the nobody nobody remembers as much who won the midseason cup, but it's still it's still a thing. Yeah, and I mean, and if we ever start talking about oh most dominant regular seasons of all time, well, if you did have the best record in the league and you won the cup and you won the finals. Yeah. You know, that, that maybe that's like a little extra piece to talk about things historically now. Um, and there's like a lot. I mean, I could name you 10 franchises right now who would be just so desperately happy. I mean, the Cavs PR staff was, you know, spent a ton of time pushing Colin Sexton for first team all rookie last year. Like all these teams PR staffs like need something to do. Like (laughs) they, they, they're looking for anything they can to celebrate the local TV announcers. Like they, they all w- would be so happy to just have anything here. Yeah. 
So I, I don't remember seeing this. Is or I don't know if they figured this out. Would the cup competition be in one location or would it be in like different home court environments? Yeah, because I haven't seen anything on the, that. The travel and logistics changed considerably because of that. But you also worry that if you invite eight teams to Vegas and there's like, you know, crowds of like 2,411, you know, like what do you, what, what, what does that do? So I, I didn't see any details on that. I'm, I'm interested how they I, I would try be, to do that. I would be surprised if it weren't just at like, uh, you know, a team just having home court advantage in it because you're already taking away some home dates. So like that's going to be a complaint. They're not going to want to lose more on that you can also add some intrigue to these early season division games of just like you know are you going to qualify for this thing or not yeah. early on um, yeah so all right we'll talk about this last bit in a second here let's take another quick break all right next proposal the third major one here play in tournament here's how it would work two four team tournaments with the seventh through tenth seeds in each conference the seventh seed would first host the eighth seed and the winner of that one game gets the seventh seed. Then the ninth seed would host the 10th seed. Winner of that game plays the loser of seven versus eight for the final playoff spot. So if you're the nine or the 10th seed, you basically have to win two straight games to get in. If you're the eighth seed, you can go one and or the seventh seed, you can go one and one and mm-hmm. still get in. Yeah. To me, the real target for that is tanking. That you're trying to put a carrot out there that even if you finish 10th, that you can get into the get into the real playoffs and get some additional gate and some additional sort of credit for your team like hey we were a playoff team so that that to me is the real objective here i mean the play in tournament might do okay like there'll be excitement right they're winner take all games so that that'll add six exciting games onto the schedule at the end of the year which i think will be fun I presume it would take place over that kind of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, where we now have the first weekend of playoff games, and that those yeah, I'm not, games I'm not be sure about back. that. Um, no, I, I that would very much surprise me if they wanted to lose opening the playoffs on that weekend. I'm guessing it would be they might just end the season a couple. I, I don't know this, but I, my guess would be that they wouldn't want to lose having those first eight games all in a weekend the way it is. They really try to focus on having more games on the weekends in the playoffs. Yeah, so that's I think true. it would be. You know, now you could also regular. still have your four versus five and three versus six series open while these other guys are battling it out. Huh. Okay. How about that? Well, yeah, and that but then though you're on different schedules with all these. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um and it would even put the one and the two seeds at disadvantage to have to like catch Potentially because they're squeezing frequently. in more games. Yeah. I think they probably would just maybe end the regular season on that Sunday beforehand and then have it go uh have it go those next like two, three days or so. I mean, I guess it would be what maximum or minimum three days is what it would take. Yeah. Because you'd, you'd, you'd have seven and play eight and nine play 10 on the same day. Then you'd want a travel day in between. And then you'd have the two, the winner of the one play the loser of the other. Yeah. I mean, they might even be able to do it on a back to back, frankly, because it's same conference. Right. So, I mean, that would suck, but. I, I in the West, I don't. Maybe you could do that in the East. In the in the West, boy, I don't see how you pull that off. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. You, you back to backs are not, you know, New Orleans to Golden State or something like. that. And just with the team's possibly. logistics, like you got to have a hotel booked and stuff. <laughs> I, I I I question that one. 
Yeah, no, I mean, there's plenty of room at, at uh, you know, the Super 8 by the airport, right? Like, uh, players would be fine with that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, you know, there's a couple of components here. Uh, I think the anti-taking is a good thing, and they've taken care of the tanking at the very bottom of the lottery most of the way. I think teams actually almost don't. It's still important to have the worst record because at least you limit your downside. I think teams kind of forgot about that maybe last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so if you do that now, of course, more of the tanking takes place in the middle, but maybe, you know, having the 10th seed be eligible for this quote unquote playoffs, uh, you know, might be good. And then if for those who are worried about, you know, okay, let's say the seventh seed wins 12 more games than the 10th seed. That's about what it was last year between the Spurs and the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, that you still would have to, if you're the seventh or eighth seed, you still would have to lose two games to be out. You know, and I think that's enough where you could, where you, and especially, and one of them would be a home game. The seventh seed would have to lose twice at home, which, yeah. I, but, you know, maybe if it's a, and I, I hate to, uh, bring up Memphis again, but like your 2016 team that, you know, had all those injuries and just had no business being in the playoffs, like, I wouldn't mind to see like a team like that. You know, we have one of those every couple of years, just, you know, not win that, that play in tournament and end up, you know, out of the playoffs. I mean, I think you at least, I'm I'm not sure we would have minded either based on how those four games in San Antonio went. (laughs) No, that's actually, I, did I tell you that I didn't watch a single minute of that series? Oh, I I don't, I don't play. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly like Detroit, Milwaukee last year. I didn't watch any of that. Oh yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't do any dunked ons. For that series, and I didn't do any because Blake Griffin was out too in that series. Yeah, and I didn't exactly. do any dunked ons for for that Grizz Spurs series. I was like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna not watch this game. If it's close, I'll go back and I'll t- I'll rewatch it and I can talk about it on the show. And lo and behold, the games weren't close. So there was one game where we had it down it. to like 14 in the second half. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't spend more time on that. <laughs> um. So okay, let's do this. Give me on a one to ten scale how in favor you are of these three changes. First of all, the uh conference conference semifinal reseed. Yeah, yeah. Uh I'll give it like a solid eight. I, I think that's generally pretty good. That presents one or two maybe small logistical hurdles, but generally I'm in favor. Yeah, I I'm about a six or seven, if only because I grew up with this idea of you have the behemoth in your conference that you're always trying to overcome. To get to the finals that you know, like, I enjoy the year to year of we got to go through these guys, you know, Houston trying to go through Golden State these last few years, Mm -hmm. to New York trying to go through Chicago, Chicago trying to go through Detroit, Detroit trying to go through Boston. Uh, so I, I will kind of miss that aspect of it a little bit, but, uh, you know, I think overall having a better finals is more important and, and more important for the league overall. So, um, the midseason tournament, I'll give it like a six. Hey, I'm sort of interested in it. I think it has a chance to work. Why the hell not? Yeah, I, I think it's it, the regular season can't get any worse. <laughs> at least, right? Yeah. Like, uh, it'll get, give uh, schlubs like me and you who need something to talk about. Or it'll provide thing. content. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now you're getting to the real story. Extra yeah. content. That's it. Yeah. Here so, we go. I mean, mid-season now, tournament. My now, mid-season you know, tournament preview will be up. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that that'll probably determine a lot of it too. You know, is the media going to cover it like it actually matters? They probably will. Why not? You know, yeah. it, it's it, and now it's, it's more a, interesting. Than, you know, it's a bracketed tournament too, which uh, yeah, you know, I've heard that people gamble on tournaments like that. 
<laughs> yeah, the, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go with the seven. I'm getting like more interested in it uh, as okay. as time goes on here. Um, okay, and then uh, the third thing was the playing tournament. Yeah, I'm kind of lukewarm on that. Yeah, I still feel like it's a it's a way for a team to kind of get jobbed out of a playoff spot that they mostly earned. Yeah, I, I, and I mean, to have now two-thirds of the league basically kind of, I mean, not in the playoffs, but, like, close enough. Also, like, I mean, if you want to look at the NCAA tournament, the playing games are just, like, the dumbest thing ever. Now, that's a 64-team tournament, so it's mm-hmm. like, do you really need more teams in there? Uh, I'd say I'm, I, I'll give it a five. I'm willing to give it a chance. Uh And I will say this, too, by the way. Part of the reason why I think this is good is think of how miserable, even with teams like fighting for playoff spots, how many of those games were there fighting down the end to get into the playoffs are against teams that are just totally tanking or resting or not trying. Like think of how many times we're like, you'd think it would be an awesome pennant race to get in at the end. And, you know, Brooklyn doesn't even send their guys to Chicago and, and 2017 Miami has no chance because Chicago wins by 50, you know, or, uh, OKC has to get in at the end and Milwaukee plays five guys. Tim Frazier plays all 48 minutes and they play a two, three zone the entire game. You know, yeah. Like you won't see that. Hopefully. I mean, you might see that at least as far as like at the very end before this tournament, but that's not your last vision of the, the end of the regular season. Like I used to, when we started doing this podcast, like we've seen it evolve over time. I loved doing this podcast for the last two, three games of the regular season and remembering all this stuff and like, you know, 2015 San Antonio lost on the final day at New Orleans and then they got yep. stuck with the Clippers and they lost to, to the Clippers. They didn't have home court, you know, like that. That, that was, also gave us home court and gave us Portland who had lost like half their team. So that was, yep. that was a very memorable game for me. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I think I, I'll go six on that too. I mean, now implementing all of these changes that are maybe, you know, a six or a seven and there's so many of them that maybe it's hard to gauge the, impact of each individual one that's a concern too but i guess i like it all the most because it presages perhaps taking the regular season down to fewer games like this is the first time they'd be doing that and now they could really keep chopping it off especially if you know maybe regular season ratings even go up a little bit yeah absolutely i think that'll be great and you you did raise an important part it's not just the abject tanking of we're trying to lose on purpose it is the low-key sort of our games just don't matter anymore so we're just not going to play our best players and put them at risk i I think that's the more insidious form that really infects the league in march and this does help deal with that when i mean one of the i'm looking at the eastern conference standings right now like one of these teams is going to be 10th (laughs) right and I don't think they're going to pull away from the other ones, you know? So there's going to be a lot more incentive for these teams at the bottom, I think, to to try at least a little bit. Well, and there'll also be perhaps, I mean, there's usually a lot of incentive anyway to get six because there's usually a pretty big drop-off between the first two teams in a conference to third, especially when you're dealing with... Yeah, it's going to yeah, it's gonna make that 6-7 race very valuable. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially just to get... I think because even if you other, get in as seven, you have one bad day and you're knocked down to eight, and now you're playing the one seed. And I think the other thing that's nice too is that you're gonna the good teams will get like almost a full week off. 
before the playoffs. Like, so they'll be ready to go. It, you know, you're really only getting in some cases two days off. It's like yeah. just a continuation of the season. Which, get a break. which should mean we'll see fewer playoff teams resting their players on the last day of the regular season. Yeah. In games that they might need to win. And because, yeah, you don't, now you don't want a guy to have like 10 days off or something if you, you know. Yeah, that's actually too many days off is actually bad. Yeah, exactly. So I I think that'll be maybe a small piece of positivity from this. Are you going to do a couple of mailbag questions? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, all right. What interested you? Uh, uh, we had some leftover from my dunked on mailbag, so I threw a few in that I thought might be interesting for you. Would you like there? Okay, reader Jeffrey Lynn ninety four asks, which rookie extensions are looking good, and which ones are teams starting to regret? What do you think, Nate? Oh, Jalen Brown's looking better, and that that was probably the diciest one. Um, I think Dejounte Murray, despite the Spurs' struggles, he looks like he's back athletically, so I, I think that one is looking pretty good. Yeah, his movement seems fine to me. Like he's pushing the ball up the court and everything, and. His shot's always going to be a little bit of a question mark. I think they need to get players with him who actually like to play in transition, but I, I think that's going to be okay. Um, I got one for you. Okay. Ben Simmons, five-year maximum extension. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, Ben Simmons slander has been a popular topic lately. You know, people saw people talking about whether Ingram was the best player from that draft now. I Yeah. Is that even the worst max? Yeah, well, with with Murray being the other. What, what about he, Jamal Murray? Yeah. yeah, he he. But that was one that I I think you know Simmons is like, oh, this is a no brainer, you know. And I think it's at least the way he started. Oh, well, he did hit a corner three. Like, let's uh, mm-hmm. you know, ring the Liberty Bell for that one. But uh, you know, he's got to actually stand out there and shoot it. And if he does that fifty more times, then maybe I'll start to believe in it. But it's just. It's so hard to fit around him. I mean, and he really is in the half court an offensive liability. Like there's his, uh, I talked about this on Dunkdown last week. Like his post up numbers are terrible. He's run seven pick and rolls all season as of a couple of days ago and has zero points and five turnovers and four offensive fouls on those pick and rolls per synergy. Uh, you know, he, it's just now. Maybe on another team that was totally built around him, the way Giannis is, he might look better. But especially for this team, the max. That's that that. So that's that's what I get back to. He do, on a team where Joel Embiid is the best player, Simmons is a suboptimal fit. Does he have max contract trade value though? Like he was going to get a max contract from somebody. Do you agree with me on that? Even after, even if he played the way he's played right now all year, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, like, so, someone would have given it to him, uh, just because of the talent that he has. He's already made an all-star team. I mean, that's it, just simply having that all-star designation next to your name. You know, Kevin Pelton did some research on this years ago that that just in and of itself, like, increases your contract. So, you know, was he going to get a max? Yes. Are we, did they have much choice? No. Is it going to look like a good contract in a couple of years with the lack of improvement and in fact regression in a number of areas that he's had? You know, that's what I begin to question. I mean, it, to me, it certainly looks worse than the day it was signed. And that was kind of the thrust of the question. Uh, I would agree. I would definitely agree with that. Yes. I would say on the other hand that Pascal Siakam's contract is looking outstanding right now. Yeah. I mean, maybe their only regret is it's not five years. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they wish they could have done the full five now. Although, I, 
Correct you me if imagine, I'm wrong. I, th- I think I think you have I think you have to go full max to get the five now. Yeah, no, no, but they did go full max for four. So yeah, in theory, you would go full full max for five. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Milwaukee sure wishes that they would have just gotten the full five year max for Giannis instead of uh going for the four years. Even though they did get, I think you know about a six seven million dollar discount off the max at, at that time. Um, all right, they one also, more here. They also got yeah, no player option, which was probably the most critical thing of all. Yeah. Um, okay. This is a quick one here. Okay. Uh, Michael Yee at Raps in Four. How much is Fred Van Vliet getting this off season? Currently makes uh, just under ten million per year on the on that two year deal he signed as a restricted free agent a couple years ago. Well, I would say mid tier starting point guards or people whose teams thought they were getting mid tier starting point guards anyway <laughs> uh, got in the high teens last summer. I think that number may go up a little bit. I would say twenty million would be my ballpark for Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So he'll be twenty six this off season. His defensive versatility and ability to switch, he's just such a bulldog out there and what he did in the finals defending and now being the starter with Lowry out. I mean, he's pretty powerless from two point range, but he can shoot the ball off the dribble, he can gnash under the basket. I mean, he's he's definitely a quality starting point guard. You know, he's probably between you know, your 15th and 20th best point guard in the NBA, exactly. I would say. Yeah. And moreover, the, he's the only guy that I right now project to be a starter over the life of his new contract. You know, maybe Mike Conley, if he starts playing a lot better, but if he keeps playing like this, he probably just opts into his $34 million for oh, next you year. You could so. take your Conley slander right out of here, Nate. <laughs> right out of here with that. I'm not hearing but, uh, it. Still, still driving the Conley most improved player bandwagon. I or? think I, it's going to be a hard slog to get to to that. But uh, <laughs> he, I thought he would it, be a lot better too. I, I admit that. But it's been uh, it's been the adjustment for him is playing with playing with Rudy rather than playing with Mark. It, they're yeah. two completely different kinds of pick and roll partner, and it's a completely different read. So you you could see him the last few games. Picking it up more, where he's he's not throwing the pass as he he's not throwing the bounce pass to him at the free throw line quite as quickly. He's he's looking more to hang on to the ball and throw the lob late. Yeah, and so, but it's it's going to be an adjustment for him, and I under I totally underestimated that. Yeah, and I think he, he's I've seen him miss shooters a little bit more than I mean because you know what shooters actually... could he be, could he have missed with us? Yeah, yeah, no, that that was. Uh... You beat me to the joke. Oh, there, I beat but, you to the punchline. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I think he's getting better. And obviously his shooting struggles at the beginning of the year were, you know, something that you don't expect to continue. So he's gradually getting back into it. But anyway, but back to Van Vliet. The question to me is, you know, he's not restricted, but where does the money come from? And you're looking at Toronto's plan being on that 2021 plan. As of now, they've got, about 57 million in space. They would want to have max room. If they go 20 million a year for Van Vliet, you're getting pretty darn close to that. Now that would include the cap hold for Ananobi. I mean, they could probably, they could find a way to do it. They could move, get off a of Powell or stretch him or something to get to the max room. So which of these other teams that has space is going to go to that kind of level though? Where is the leverage to extract that kind of a deal? Uh, you know, maybe the Knicks, if they, uh, just decide that they really want to get better. What I mean, about Minnesota? Yeah. Uh, but they don't have any money yet. They're, uh, I mean, yeah, 
yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I mean, I think he'd be a pretty, I mean, they already got Tyus Jones. I think he actually would work pretty well in Memphis too. I want to see how well Ja and Jaron Jackson take a, 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 you know, cause he could play back a point guard. He could also play next to Ja cause he can guard shooting guards. I mean, that, that level of versatility to play on or off the ball and guard, you know, one through two and even switch some beyond that. I mean, that's incredibly valuable on a good team. I and mean, you I don't, you don't think of a short guard being able to do that, but he's a yeah. bowling ball. Like he's strong. And he just gets under you and it's, it's, it just creates leverage and it's, and it's hard to get a good shot off against him. Yeah. So it really does seem though, like Knicks and Memphis are the only teams that as of now have big cap space that would be interested there. So, you know, maybe they kind of come to an agreement that's in the idea. Then what happens with Lowry too, uh, as well? I mean, this could be a very interesting question. Lowry's but. an important domino and all that because that, that extension really set himself up to be traded if something good comes up. So he's, he's going to be a player worth watching. Definitely. All right. So you, oh, your, uh, yeah, you don't think yeah. Detroit would go after Fred Van Vliet? You got Dwayne Casey there. I mean, obviously it depends yeah. a little on what happens with Drummond. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, he's going to have a big market in Charlotte. Uh, but yeah, he, he yeah, could opt out and that would, that would open up about 35 million in room for them if he, if he were to opt out. So that's, uh, uh, they definitely need a solution at that position. Uh, Derek Rose has played very well, but he's just so limited in the number of minutes that he can play and Van Vliet would be a good fit next to Rose. Yeah, also. Rose to me is really a two at this point anyway. Yeah. Okay, let's do a little Holland Journeys to, to wrap okay. up here. And I wanted to talk to you about your player development article you, and that topic in general. You wrote a, a nice piece on The Athletic about how the Blazers and Nuggets have developed players San G League. So when you – I'll give you the floor here. What works and what doesn't work as far as player development? I think that's still a little bit of a mystery, and that was one of the reasons I pursued this story. Yeah. Well, I remember once you said, and this is, it might have even been before you joined the, well, obviously it was because you wrote it, uh, before you joined the Grizzlies that gifting players minutes, you didn't, at least as of that time, didn't believe that that worked. And, and I, I think it's almost secondary that some of these teams have been able to have these guys in their system for a year or two and then just pull them out of the woodwork and start playing them. And, they, and they're, <laughs> they're like, they're good. And you're like, wait, how did that happen? Um, and I think a lot of it is just the, the time in the gym with developing the ability to to read the game and developing just the this, this skill work, working on guys with their shooting, shooting in game situations, shooting the types of shots they'll need to make in the games, whether it's like, you know, those uh, one those one handed pick the ball up scoops on on their pick and roll drive for the point guards or uh, different shots that a big might need to make that are that are completely different shots than ten years ago, and I, th- I think the best teams at it really focus on those situations that these guys are going to be in and and are able to drill those situations without necessarily needing to get a ton of five on five minutes because for the secondary players I, th- I think it's harder for them to develop without a without a good program behind them like somebody who is good enough to have the ball in his hands a lot from the moment he gets in the league it's much easier for that guy to develop because he's just going to get so many reps but the the secondary guys i think it's a lot harder 
And I, I think there has to be a lot more intention behind a program. And it's, it's so hard to lose sight of it during the season. It's one of those things that in July, everybody talks about uh, being so important. And then right around this time, like, oh man, we're four and 12. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't have time to work with my 13th man on his jump shot. You know, we gotta, we gotta watch some film and devise, devise new plays and, get our veterans some rest like everything else comes first. And yeah. it's hard to still have the player development come first during those six months of season where you're, you're just head is spinning and the season comes at you so fast uh, with, with the games. You really don't have a ton of on court time in between. So a maximizing that and, and, B, still having it be a priority when you get to this point in the season is so important. I think that's what the better teams are able to do. And I think that supersedes things like just having a G League team. Yeah, I, I a couple points there. I think one, to me, and I don't know this to be true. I haven't empirically studied it. It would be very difficult to do so. But when I watch teams work out, and just sort of anecdotally to me too, the good teams, and Denver is one of these, when the guys work out, it looks closer to a game, whether that's game speed, whether that's shooting the shots that you're going to shoot in a game, whether it's, uh, you know, setting up a, a three on three game where you're making the reads that you're going to have to make on both offense and defense, actually fucking working on defense. Like yeah. that's, that's like, like, you know, and yeah. obviously all I get to see is, you know, what they're doing before a game. I don't get to see. You can tell practice. a lot watching yeah. a team between 4.30 and 5.30. You you absolutely, absolutely can. Yeah. There's no That's question. That's why I always yeah. get there early to watch that. That's my favorite time to sit down at 4.30 and just, you know, I'm sure everyone's we weirded out by me just sitting next to them watching their practice when there's nobody else in the arena. But, uh, yeah, you can learn a ton from that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's my favorite hour too. And, even now, I, I like going down for that, and there'll be all personnel scouts from other teams, and me, and <laughs> just just having a little party, watching watching what they're doing. It's it's very interesting. Um, so you mentioned the G League. I think they have way too many games in the G League. That I don't know why they try to make it like the NBA travel schedule. The NBA travel schedule is ridiculous. They also actually, it could be a little bit of a lab to just see if like the gate increases for some of those teams to have fewer games. Um, you know, I know it's only a 50 I, game season, but I, yeah. yeah, I, I think you need actual demand before the supply demand thing really That's comes true. in. Yeah, I mean, it, comes it, into play. I, I realize they're not, <laughs> you know, like the Santa Cruz Warriors do. Okay. I mean, there's like a few, that there's do, a few teams yeah. that, that do. Okay. And, and might, that might be somewhat interesting yeah. to study, the, but I, the, I, I know also, it's in South Haven, Mississippi. It wouldn't matter if we played one day or 365. Um, yeah, I, I guess there's a reason that G League Showcase has like no fans invited at all. Literally, uh, by definition now. Center. Yeah. Um, but, but so, but the point I was going to make is when you're sending guys down there to the G League, like it's hard enough during an NBA season when you have at least like the perks of being in the NBA to like actually keep up with say nutrition and weightlifting and stuff. Like, why don't they just have like, you know, one and a half games a week or two games a week at most to where, and especially when you have to travel from, you know, Sioux Falls to, uh, Prescott, South Arizona. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, uh, you, you would know better than I am what the, the ridiculous travel 
is there. It's gotten a little bit better as teams have kind of made their teams closer to their home base. But so like, why not just have, you know, one and a half games a week in the G League so you can actually really practice and like you don't need that many games. I mean, it's for just like statistical sample size. Like what's the reason? And just this is make it closer to the NBA, like make everyone miserable, just like they are in the NBA from traveling. Like I, I really don't understand why you wouldn't just have way fewer games. So players can really work on their body and their skill development. It get back. It gets back to the question of why is this league here, right? Is it, yeah. Is it a minor league like the old CBA or is it a developmental league? Like they called it in the, in the beginning, right? Because I think you're right that if you're doing development, you probably want to play even fewer games than you play now because they still, they, they still have their share of back to backs and some of the back to backs are ugly. Uh, like 7 p.m. game, 4 p.m. the next day, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, you're flying commercial. So you're not leaving right after the game. You're getting up for a 6 a.m. Yeah. flight to get there the same day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or even if it's a regular back to back, you you could still you. I mean, we've had we had in Memphis home road back to back with a G League team where the the next morning you're taking two flights to go from Memphis to Des Moines, which isn't that far on a map, but you, there's no direct flight, so you gotta you, you know you're spending the whole day just traveling there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so so you're in agreement with me that you should reduce the number of games. I in think I think that is an outstanding proposal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So last thing here, but the number guy numbers guy in me does want the large sample size still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially when you're trying to bring these guys in to be role players and you're just like, yeah. how the hell do I know if this guy, how do I evaluate off of not? eight games? Right. Could I have about 20 more? Yeah. So that's always challenging. Yeah. Um, so I've always thought, and it sounds like the, the nuggets are in close. Like another th- difference. And, and this was noted to it in your piece is that, you know, actually having, guys who are kind of basketball players on your player development coaching staff who can challenge these guys a little bit uh is actually a good thing i always felt like if i were running a team and i had carte blanche i would get you know a basically a nine-man coaching staff and have a couple of extras even of basically guys who maybe, maybe even aren't really coaches but we're just gonna call them coaches and are almost like players and then maybe we even tell their agents wink wink like hey we might sign one of you guys if you know, we, we have a roster spot or, or something like that. Uh, but you know, guys who can like be in practice all the time. And we just say, we're going to put this player in there with nine other players and we're just going to put them in the lab. I call it the lab mm-hmm. and we're just going to run these plays. And then the other thing you would gain too is maybe an idea just in general of like what works in basketball. Like you could try out new plays, have those guys run it when, you know, your practice time with your actual players is so limited. Uh, do a bunch of stuff where you can just like move guys around on a chessboard, either for your player development or to just learn something about how certain strategies would work in basketball, right? You could try, you know, your, uh, Vivek run a DV four on five if you wanted to, and then mm-hmm. have it hopefully never become public. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it, it, are there any, like, is there any reason that you couldn't do that? Or is that, or is there any reason that that's just a dumb idea? Just, it's just a question of numbers and logistics to me. I yeah. mean, you look like all the video coordinators that have been hired in the, in the last few years all just happen to be like six, seven, two twenty and, <laughs> and yeah. played division two, you know, <laughs> like that, that kind of background. And, and there's a reason teams are doing that. So there, there's definitely been an increase in, in that type of 
higher. I don't know if it's to the point where teams have an entire squadron capable of playing five on five, but we're 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 definitely getting more to that point in, in play. And I mean, Denver isn't the first team either to have former players on their on their staff who can work out players. Sure. But uh, I, I think it does help um, j- just to really play against some people who at least have some modicum of similar talent, where it's not just a five foot seven assistant coach that you're shooting shots over. Yeah, I wouldn't even mind it if, especially with a shorter G League season, you could have your G League players and your NBA players actually practice together. Right? Like you can't, like the way the CBA is now, like you can't practice unless you're like signed to an NBA contract in theory and be a player. I mean, I guess you That's could be correct. on the coaching staff, but um, th- there does seem like it, it's a little, little bit antiquated to not be able to like do this yeah this you have to assign your the, your young guys to the g league practice is basically what you have to do yeah. right now and i mean i can see some reasons for for wanting it that way but it, there there are there definitely have been situations where god if you just had one g league guy who could play this one position where you have three guys out your whole practice would be 50 percent better so yeah and, and we've definitely been in those situations so it, that that would be a welcome change. So you want they won't put it in the next CBA. You know why they won't put it in the next CBA because it'll get negotiated at the last minute, and so they won't have time to deal with stuff like that. But it's <laughs> it's something it's something that they ought to. Yeah. All right. Well, something that you guys ought to do is listen to John get us out of here right now. I forgot to do that last week, but uh, it, it, make sure to tell him to rate and review and and all that stuff, John. All right. Thanks everyone for joining me and Nate. You can. Uh, Make sure you subscribe our uh, – let's try that shit again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to leave this in. This is great. This is this is great stuff. Well, I, I, totally, I totally fucked you by saying – already saying rate and review because then like your natural inclination is I don't want to say the exact words that he just said. So <laughs> I, I'll take some responsibility for, for that flub personally. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you can get every single episode and make sure to rate and review us at iTunes or Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. Oh, that was fantastic. No, no ums, no, no nothing. That was like, maybe, maybe I should just record that and I'll just append it to the end of, a, of every, every single one. episode. We don't, <laughs> we, don't have to, we don't have to put you through this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Uh, We'll talk to you all next time. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.